Welcome to America's Top Rebbitzins. May this class be for Fuishalema for Eliezer Raphael Le Benemuna and Zev Ben Lea. Please click the subscribe subscribe button to subscribe to us on America's Top Rebbitzins YouTube page, or click follow to follow us on your podcasting app so that you're the first to know when an inspiring new episode is posted. I'm so happy to have on today's show Rebbitzin Miriam Lipskier. Rebbitzin Miriam is the co-founder and director of the Chabad Student Center at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. Together with her husband and eight children, they have created a vibrant community of Jewish life and learning. Miriam is a dynamic teacher of Jewish thought and spirituality who lectures internationally. She is on staff at Base Hana Women's Institute and an educator for Mikvah USA. Thank you so much for being on our show. Please tell us more about yourself and what you do. I think you 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 summed it up, you know, in a in a nice little nugget there. Um, my husband and I run the Chabad at Emory University, and it's a real privilege to be ambassadors of Judaism and being a place where students could come, um, not just for Shabbos dinners, which thank God we're, we're blessed. We host hundreds of students every single week. It's quite an operation. It's a lot of fun. You're always welcome. If you're in Atlanta, come and visit. I always tell people we'll leave the door open for you and it's real because it's a tent and it just has a flap and you could flap in any time, but really more than Shabbat and holidays, um, we it's like an embassy. An embassy means you always have a place or a lighthouse to go to um, for not just food, clothing, shelter, but spiritual needs, emotional needs, and someone that's there for you, which is really a need that every human being has, but it's a beautiful privilege and honor to be part of a tribe where that's not just a theory, it's a reality. And so it's a great life privilege to, you know, have, have that lighthouse at Emory. And it's, um, it's been amazing to meet so many incredible students that have come through over more than two decades, Baruch Hashem. Um, I always joke that when my husband and I first started our Chabad house, it was just us. And now, thank God, our staff has grown to full-time, eight full-time members who I gave birth to. Um, all of them, because <laughs> our kids, it, it's a, it's, it's not a job, it's a life. So the family is, is just part of the extended um, scene, if you will. And there are our greatest lights and blessing as well. So that's a little, a little bit about the goings on of my life. I love that. I love the way that you said that, that your, your kids are just it's a life. It's not like your mommy's working or daddy's working at the job. It's no. everybody. The kids are all involved. I think it's so beautiful. I think that's what makes it beautiful. The fact that they're involved in all the day to day has said and support that you offer the community. It's so beautiful. Right. It's a little harder to answer. People are like, oh, like, so what's your like job? And I don't want to say I'm unemployed because I'm certainly not. <laughs> I'm not uh, it's very nonprofit, but it's a it's a life work and a mission more than punching in on a clock. There is no clock. No one's on a time. It's whatever's needed, you know, at the moment. So it's definitely a a, a more unusual paradigm. But that's that's how it it rolls. Beautiful. So beautiful. It's really, it's, a, it's such a beautiful way to live. <laughs> and today we're going to be talking about a topic that I know that you are very passionate about and that I also find fa very fascinating. It's called Geula Mindset. And this is such a deep subject with so much to explore. And I'm really excited to dive right in and learn about bringing Geula to the world. So, and also to bring Geula to us individually and also what that looks like practically. So let's start at the beginning. Can you please tell us what exactly is Geula? And can you also describe the Geula mindset? So it's 
huge. <laughs> and it's not something um, I, I think many people have a little bit of an apprehensive um, response to this idea of Mashiach, you know, some hocus pocus or some magical theory thing that either will come and and will change or disrupt. And it's an interesting thing that the foundation of Judaism is not tradition and morals and values and holidays and celebrations, although it's that as well, but rather it's a mission and a purpose that was embedded in creation since the beginning. And what I mean by the beginning, I literally mean Genesis 101 creation, the very first opening verse of the Torah. Um, it talks about how God creates the world. And verse two, the Pasuk, the verse says, that the spirit of God hovered over the water. That's the opening description of what the world looked like. And the Midrash tells us, what does it mean? the spirit of God was hovering over the water. Like that's not so, you know, that's not a, a practical image. Um, that's not tangible. What does that mean? And the Midrash explains to us that it says this spirit, this mirachefet that was hovering was actually this is the spirit of Mashiach, which means that from minute one embedded into our story was the end goal, was the objective, was the purpose of it all. And what was that purpose? to have a world where instead of darkness and confusion and brokenness and pain and fragmentation, which was really what's described in the opening verse, that the world was chaos. It says, tohu vavohu, it was like absolute chaos, which some people could you know, look around our world and identify with that landscape as well. But the mission from minute one was, you see this chaos, your goal, everybody's goal, all of humanity's goal is to move this mission forward so that Geula, which is really the, and I'll just tell you, not, not everybody loves, you know, Hebrew language etymology, but the word for gullus or darkness and the word for Geula or redemption or light are the same Hebrew letters in the two words, except for one letter difference. And that is that Geula, Gola, they have the same letters. If I had a whiteboard, I would write them so you could see them, but I'm not going to, um, you know, graph them out. But the only difference is that there's an Aleph that's added in Geula. So you're asking Geula mindset, what's the difference? Meaning the world's the same, practically speaking, but the mindset, the perception, the way I view it has an Aleph in it. What's an Aleph? Aleph stands for Alufa Shalom. It sounds for, it stands for the one, the creator, God, however someone visualizes Hashem in their lives. And the difference between a, a prison mentality or an exile mentality or a dark mentality and a light-filled one is that God's let in. God can shine. The God within me, the God within you, the God within our world. If I can see that and if I can perceive that, then I can work towards living that. And so from minute one embedded in our story was the mission that we're meant to bring the spirit of Mashiach in the darkness, in the chaos, in the confusion, and to illuminate it so that the light that's there but is hidden can be revealed. And that's, if I could say, a nutshell version of the mission of bringing Geula to our world it's not a magical hocus pocus, you know, something will descend from heaven, although there's talk of that too. Um, but it's, it's a work in progress, rectifying and letaking to fix 
our world, but also our world is me, myself inside of me. And I make the world better by refining myself and vice versa. The world becomes a more refined place with more refined people in it. And refinement um, is one way of saying that I'm, I'm letting the light shine in me instead of the things that are dark and broken. Wow. That is so deep and there's, there's so much there and I'm, I'm taking it all in. I, you know, I have a question. I, I love what you said about refinement. Like we're, we're, everybody has a mission. Everybody and everything here in this world has a mission from day one, from the beginning. And our mission is to move the chaos into the light, to kind of um, take the schmutz off of everything and reveal Hashem's light in this world, which is such a beautiful thing. And I want to see if we can maybe even bring it down into an even more practical level. Like what, what can I do? What can our listeners do? Like what can we do in our lives to to help bring this refinement within us so that it shines and brings refinement on the outside of us. Okay, so I'll give you a very well-known Jewish tradition and custom. Um, even Jews who are not observant um, will often find themselves celebrating at a Seder. Um, what do we do at a Seder? It's obviously not so timely right now, but the holiday of Passover, we celebrate that we were slaves in Egypt and we liberated and we, you know, we celebrate freedom. Um, the interesting thing is, uh, three and a half, it's actually 3,338 years later, why are we still talking and celebrating and eating and munching and doing whatever we do at a Seder about what seems not to be a very relevant Egypt because we're not in Egypt. We don't even remember that experience, at least not you know, in our, in our conscious mind and we're celebrating it every year and there's so many things in our lives that actually do imprison us or hold us back. It's like, do you, are you in charge of your phone or does your phone control you? Are you, you know, do you work for your boss? Or the, it's, 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 there seems to be so many more relevant ways of experiencing the concept of liberation. But what's interesting is Torah is not a one-time, you know, once a year you should commemorate this activity of leaving Egypt. It's supposed to be something that we do every day. We actually mention it in our prayers every day. We mention it every Shabbos in Kiddush. So it's something that's supposed to be part of our consciousness daily. What is it? And it actually, it's interesting because the Midrash says that if you quote something in the name of the person you heard it from, you actually bring maybe Geula Laolam, you bring Geula to the world. So I'll quote this from the rabbi I heard this um, teaching from, but I think it's relevant and answers your question. It's from Rabbi Jacobson. And the teaching is that everybody knows Seder. The word Seder means order. What's the order? So we have order. First, you do this, and then you do this, and then you do that. And we move through the different steps. We dip, we ask the questions, we eat the matzah, the marar, all those things. What's the final stage of this whole evening that's supposed to actually be more than just one evening of our, of our year, but it's supposed to be something we're supposed to internalize and experience daily? What's the last step of this Seder project? We take matzah that was broken into pieces. So a bunch of little pieces that are put in some sort of bag or tissue, however you do it. And it's hidden away, you know, under the pillow, behind the rug, behind the, you know, bookcase, wherever the afikomen is called. And people are usually know what this is. And what's the idea? The idea is that the children should find this bag of broken matzah and then bring it out. And that's the final closing out act of this Seder. We eat it. And after that, it actually says, that's it. No more, no one last string. No, that's the final action item. So what's the teaching? 
that's meaningful and relevant. It's something that I think gives a lot of insight into what we're experiencing in our world today. And what is that? We see that the generations that came before us had incredible struggles that came from without, meaning the Nazis, the Crusaders, the Spanish Inquisition, the pogroms, go through Jewish history, you see the persecution and the pain of people coming to crush and to beat and to destroy from outside in. Our generation is a blessed generation in terms of bounty, food, clothing, shelter, and, and abundance in so many ways that our ancestors before us wouldn't believe if we described what we eat and how we cook it and how we, you know, just our daily, how we clean our clothing and how it arrives at our door when we click two buttons on our Amazon Prime app, um, et cetera, et cetera. They would think either we're kings or we're living in messianic times. But we don't feel that way. What do we feel? Very often you'll hear the intense anxiety and stress and pressure and depression and all sorts of internal darkness and struggle, the broken pieces that are inside each and every one of us. And so the teaching is that the last step in this process of refining our world, we've been through a lot and it hasn't been pretty or easy, refining the sparks all along, trying to bring godliness and light throughout history, woven through the tapestry of our collective story. But where are we now? We're literally at that last stage. What's the last stage? When you, you take out that afikomen, literally all the things that you hid under the rug that no one wanted to deal with, all the, and I don't, I'm, I'm not, a, you know, a psychiatrist, so I don't need to go into, you know, all the ways in which society today is doing that inner work of fixing those broken pieces and the body keeps the score and intergenerational trauma and epigenetics and all the things that we're carrying in our generation, whether it's spiritual, whether it's emotional, in whatever way or physical, how it literally shows up in people's bodies that they need to breathe and they need to focus and they need to work through. And this is the avoda, the task of our generation is literally the afikomen, these broken pieces of matzah, how can we bring those into the light? How can I bring what's inside of me so that it's healed in a way where I am safe, I am soothed, I am healed, I am good? This is ga'ula work. This is the work. It's not a, you know, let's build a wall or let's build a bridge or let's build a structure. Throughout our history, we've been doing that. But I think it's honest and fair to say that the work of our generation is an internal work where we need to let the light of Hashem, the light of godliness and love and warmth and spirituality and calm and peace shine from within. And that takes a lot of work from inside each and every one of us. It's not like our work and our mission is just to survive or just to escape you know, the persecution. It's an inner persecution, if you will, that we all are called to, to do that work. And that's good work. So what does it look like practically? Practically for every single human being, they're gonna be working on something different, whether it's, whether it's calm, patience, honesty, integrity, um, you know, thinking before they react, um, responding from a place of, of authenticity. Every human being is gonna have that 
Afi Komen look different for them, but it's the awareness that I need to be doing the work to refine myself. And it's not just I'm here to, you know, survive or we overcame or we escaped and now let's celebrate, which is a lot of what we've done throughout our history. And it's been monumental and it's brought us to this point. But the final moments of Galos are that the lights that have been revealed in our world, which you could see, there's so many blessings that we have. People are living longer. People have access to education and food and shelter more than at any other time in our history. But that's external. The internal work is where it's at. And that's where bringing light from the inside out is really the, the call of our hour because we're at Mashiach's, we're at the doorstep. And we're just ready to walk through that door, but we want to walk through it in light and with light from within that we're, we're aware of as opposed to, you know, in the dark. I love that. If instantly. I could tell you a joke that I heard. Yeah, yeah, please. <laughs> I don't know. No, you were going to say something, so you can you can ask. I just... Okay, I'll say it, and then, and then I definitely yeah, want to hear yeah, a joke because yeah. I love jokes. Um, no, so I was going to say, it's very interesting how you made the distinction between the, the outer struggles that many of our ancestors faced with the pogroms, and, you know, the pogroms and the Holocaust, and, you know, being attacked and Spanish Inquisition and all that. And it was, Jews were really fleeing for their lives for, for most of Jewish history. And now... For the, for the most part, or not. For the most part, Jews are safe and they're okay. I'm not saying that there are no, you know, acts of anti-Semitism or, you know, terrorism or anything against Jews. Now there are, but not in the, the very extreme way that it has been in the past. And what we really need to focus on now is our internal work. Like that's the main focus for our character refinement. And I love what you said about showing up as your authentic self. Like we're, we're really trying to bring out our authentic selves. We're trying to work on we're trying to work on our connection with Hashem, on trying to improve our character traits and to make the light shine from within. And then when we have, when our light shines from within, we affect those around us and help to help them sh um, shine their light. And then the world altogether becomes uh, a more refined and a better place so that we can make it a space for Mashiach to come in. I just thought that was really, really beautiful. Yeah, so so now, now I don't know why I thought of the joke, <laughs> but I don't want to leave everyone hanging. What was the joke? Yes. Not such a great joke, but here's the story. There's a king, you know, long, long ago, and he's a benevolent, kind, you know, ruling uh, gentleman. And he, from time to time, visits the different institutions in his kingdom to see that things are going well. And on one occasion, he's visiting, touring the prison, um, you know, where obviously people are there who, who weren't upstanding members of uh society and he goes around to visit to see you know what's going on in this prison and every person that is there the king asks him you know so what brought you here and the without fail every prisoner I was framed it, it wasn't me I didn't do it someone cheated someone lied I got you know I got blamed for this etc all these innocent people that were behind bars nobody was guilty and finally he comes across one guy Yankel who, when the king asks him, what are you doing here? Or what brought you here? Yankel says, it's true. My kids were hungry. I didn't have any money. I stole that bread. I fed my kids. I'm guilty. And, and I deserve, you know, you're not supposed to steal. I deserve to be here. So the king right away calls the warden and says, please release this man. So the whole prison breaks out an uproar. What do you mean? We're all innocent. And we have to say the one guy who admits his guilt the one guy who tells you he did the crime for which he's paying, you let him go? How could this be? And so the king responds and he says, listen, I don't want all, I don't want all of you innocent people to corrupt this one guilty 
you know, individual. And obviously it's a silly story, but I think in reverse is, is the point that I thought of, which is every single one of us, we have an incredibly unique platform in 2022 that every single person can, if they only have, you know, an iPhone and an internet connection, be an influencer and share. And I'm not saying corrupt the innocent, but actually spread light and spread goodness to anyone. You don't need to have a certain amount of money, fame, power, status. Everybody today, like no other point in history, can be an influencer and should be an influencer for good. And so this is really part of Geula as it used to be. You were very limited in what your role was in society, more so when there was you know, a feudal system and a caste system and you were stuck in your place. But today, from rags to riches isn't even you know, the, the mind-blowing thing of our generation. It's that anybody with an internet connection can go viral, can share something. For, obviously, we're hoping for the good and for positive and spreading light and love and warmth with, without having a criteria. And what does that show us? It shows us that this concept of God's reality in our world, this light, is accessible to everybody because it's in everybody. And we used to not be able to see that or understand how that could be. Only if you were great or you were powerful or you were mighty, then you have influence and you can do something. We don't see that today anymore. Anybody with a, you know, a Wi-Fi and a dream can share anything in the world. And it's really um, a response. The Valshemtov writes that he asked Mashiach at one point he had the, the privilege of having a, an interaction with Mashiach and he said when will you come the the, the mil, mil, million dollar question at this point it's the billion dollar question when are you going to show up already we're davening every day in our prayers in our 13 principles of faith this is so fundamental to who we are and the Baal Shem Tov wanted to know new when's this happening and the Mashiach responded to the Baal Shem Tov and he said, when the wellsprings of Torah spread outward everywhere. And you see that today, that the wellsprings of truth, of light, of Torah, of godliness are not limited to the, you know, the yeshiva or to the little Kabbalistic community up in Svas or wherever it is that you would say, okay, they have, you know, they have some ownership on this, on this light. No, means every one, everywhere, you actually see it today. And you don't, you, you can go back further in our prophets, you know, Amos, Yermiyahu, all have brought down prophecy that when Mashiach comes, it's like the, the knowledge of God will be covering the, the, like the, like the water covers the ocean bed. So you have these, these verses like Kamayim Liyamachasim, the knowledge of God is going to be so accessible, so obvious, so in everyone's face, just like the water covers the ocean bed. And I don't think at any other point in our history, this was something that was easy to imagine. This was something that was tangible. But in our days, the fact that knowledge is literally at your fingertips, the fact that you can access any bit of information with the click of a button, it's, it's really miraculous. And it's not just transforming our lives, it's the culmination of the transformation of the entire universe since the beginning of time. Wow. That is so powerful. That is, that's tremendous. And I love that. I love your joke. I really was a, a very poignant joke and it was really right on par with exactly what we're talking about. And I love it because it really just does show how everybody has a responsibility to, to 
to do what they need to do, to do their own mission, to fulfill their own purpose in this life, to bring refinement to themselves and to the world and to bring Geula and to be in that Geula mindset. And, you know, I know that we are all in the generation of Geula right now. This is our generation. Our generation that is living right now will bring Moshiach. May he come right now. (laughs) Yes. And this is such an honor and a privilege, but it's also a tremendous responsibility. And now that we have a good understanding of what Geula actually is, how can we each fulfill our responsibility to actualize Geula, to bring it into this world, but also even, even more specifically, what will it look like when Moshiach is already here? Like, what will the world look like? Will it be different? Uh, how will it look like? Okay, so I disclaimer, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I know it needs to happen. Um, and it's actually a beautiful because we have so many sources. Rambam writes um, his conclusion of the Mishnah Torah talks about, you know, Yamos HaMashiach, what will it be? What stages, what phases? My kids want to know if the candy is going to grow on the tree, you know, all of those things. But I think before we, before I share just a, a concept that's what will the world be or how will it be different from the world we know it? I think it's an interesting um, idea that we know the first time we were redeemed, that was famous. I already mentioned the story of Exodus. Who, who was the Mashiach of that time? So everybody knows his name was Moses or Moshe Rabbeinu, and he redeemed the Jews from Egypt. We all know that it's not a big you know t- plot twist there. But what's very interesting is that Moshe did not grow up with the Jewish people. He was not enslaved with them. He didn't grow up being in servitude like his brothers. Why? Because of not going through the whole story, but he was put into the water as an infant. He was retrieved from, you know, saved from that Nile by Pharaoh's daughter, Batya, and she raised him in the palace like a prince. So how did he grow up? What was his mentality? What was his headspace? He didn't have the headspace of a slave because he wasn't. He had the headspace of a prince, of a ruler, of a leader, of of someone with influence. And the Evan Ezra explains why was it that of all the people in Egypt, it was Moshe that was chosen by God to liberate the Jews. And one of the answers given is a very obvious one, that you can't actually liberate, just like a prisoner cannot, the Gemara talks about you can't liberate yourself from prison, you need someone to come get you out. So if someone has that slave mentality, I'm not talking about physical bars, or even imprisonment or an enslavement in Egypt, but in order to be redeemed, Moshe had to come with that Geula mindset, with that headspace of, I'm not an enslaved person. And with that, he could bring us out. And obviously it didn't end there because you could bring us out of Egypt, but you couldn't bring Egypt out of us. We had to go through a refinement stage, which is 49 days where we count the Omer. We're supposed to refine our character traits, bringing light into the world, elevating every part of me, my personality, my you know ways that I interact with the world. And it's just a very important insight that having a Gaula mindset isn't just like, oh, that's nice. You know, isn't that cool? It sounds like, you know, the cup is half full. That's so much nicer to think positively than to be, you know, worried and frantic and anxious. But it's much deeper than that. And really, Moshe, this story tells us that a Geula mindset is something that at our stage in history is not going to happen to us, but we need to be that for ourselves and for the world. And so on your, if you, if I go back to your more practically, what will the world look like? Meaning how will the world actually be different? 
So I think there's a well-known, I don't know if it's a Jewish fairy tale um, or parable, but I'll, I'll share it in like a tweet, very abridged version of a princess who falls in love with like the gardener on her father's estate. And obviously this is not a very suitable match because what does he know? You know, potatoes, cucumbers and, and, and roses or whatever he, he grew. Um, but uh, as the story goes, they get married and he takes her to live, you know, in a faraway farm village and they're going to be happy forever and ever. And every day he brings her a bouquet of flowers. He brings her, a, you know, different things that he grew. And for a while she, she's happy. He's wonderful. He's kind. And um, it seems, seems like it's going well, but as time goes by, she's becoming more and more depressed and down and every time he brings something to her, a big basket of potatoes, some tomatoes, she looks up, she obviously says, thank you, but it's just not doing it. And after a while, he gets the memo and he asks her, my dear princess, my beautiful wife, why do you look so down? And why is nothing I do able to cheer you up? And what she explains to him is that she grew up in a palace and she was entertained by the greatest you know, thinkers and artists and musicians in the world. And that's what she's used to. And that what, that's what feels comfortable to her. And here she is. And he means well, but all he knows are his, you know, his flora, his fauna, his vegetative uh, produce. And it's not cutting it. She needs more. I'm not going to go to the end of the, you know, fairy tale story because it's really just a parable. And what's it a parable for? Our neshama. Our neshama comes into the world and it's in a body. So we think if I take the body, if the body's feeling a little uncomfortable and the body's feeling a little bit stressed out, I'll take it for a massage, for a manicure, for a shopping spree, I'll get new this, I'll get new that, and the body will feel good. And what happens? It works for a time, a minute, a week, a month, but ultimately there's a soul inside. And the soul says, you don't understand. I grew up in the palace. I had the greatest spiritual delights. I was entertained and, and, and given you know delicacies of the spirit that you with your incredibly awesome potatoes and tomatoes or bags and shoes and laptops and cars, whatever it is, is never going to satisfy that within me. And so Amos and Yermiyahu also bring down in the prophets that what is the world going to look like when Mashiach comes, that people won't hunger. They're not going to hunger for like bread. They're going to want and yearn and desire spirituality, a connection to the vine, a wholesomeness that's not external. So your question was, what's the world going to be like when Mashiach comes? And according to the Rambam and many other Jewish sources, at least for the initial stage, it's going to look exactly as it looks today with one difference. The lights on versus the lights off. So what does that mean? If you're in a room, let's say the room you're in, if I shut the light, that sofa is still there. And that, you know, those games that are on that little shelf behind you are still there, but you don't see them when the light's off. So Mashiach's coming means the light goes on. What does that mean? So the world looks the same. And up until now, our work, our avoda in our world is to work more or less in the dark because the, the light's off meaning we're bumbling around. And what are we doing? Healing and fixing brokenness and darkness and pain. So if you could sum up our work in Gullahs, it's working on darkness in the dark. And if you have to visualize Gullah, what's it going to look like? So the shortest way to say it is we're, gonna, we're still going to be working. We're not just retiring to you know some retirement community drinking a pina colada on a hammock. That's not Mashiach, although that sounds maybe nice. But we're going to be working in the light 
on the light. So people ask, like, if Mashiach comes, then what, is your Chabad is going to close? There's not going to be 200 students coming for Shabbat dinner. You're not going to be making, you know, vats of chicken soup and matzo balls. And the answer is no. There's going to be lines around the block, not 200 people. Everyone's going to want to know what does Hashem want us to be doing. The whole world's going to be filled with humanity that's awakened to what? To the reality of what is. What is? I'm a piece of God in this world. How do I activate it? How do I access it? How do I share it? And so if, if I had to sum it up in a tweet, it would be Gullus is working in the dark on darkness or on brokenness. And that's what we're doing. We're working to heal. We're working to fix. We're working to release. And what's Gaula? It's working on light, on joy, on positivity, on connection, on warmth, on love, but it's working in the light on light. So it's same people, same world. You could imagine it's the same thing, but it's fundamentally different because the perspective is completely different. And to go back to the princess and the story, the times of Mashiach is instead of saying, you know what, I wake up and it's sunny outside. I don't have any observable issues, meaning I have, I'm healthy. Thank God I have where to go and what to do, but I don't feel good. I feel anxious. I feel stressed. I feel, you know, upset. And I can't even explain why I don't even know why I feel this darkness. So what am I going to do? I'm going to go, you know, and everyone fills their day with whatever it is to distract us from that. I'm feeling some sort of discomfort or great discomfort. So whether you're going to do things like, you know, I'm going to go exercise or I'm going to go buy myself something. I'm going to hang out with people. These all are soothing or helpful to whatever degree they are. But if I don't get to the root, if I don't get to the source of that disconnect or that darkness or that anxiety, I need to wake up and just do it all again and again. And so what's interesting is our culture talks a lot about self-care and that people need to do things that are practical, real things. And I'm not knocking any of them to get the right nutrients and the right sunlight and the right exercise and the right socializing so that we regulate our systems and we feel good. But that only works physically on our body. What Torah is bringing us is don't forget the purpose of this body is that it houses a soul. It's just a house. So it's the analogy I like to use, um, especially with my kids, is it's like Hashem gives everyone a paintbrush. And your job is to take your paintbrush and paint the picture that you're meant to paint. So there's all sorts of styles and, you know, you know, different ways of painting a picture. It's realistic, it's modern, it's colorful, it's black and white, whatever it is. Use your paintbrush and paint whatever it is you're supposed to paint in the world. But what do many of us do in our culture? This paintbrush is important, right? It's my tool to, to create a beautiful image. So I'm going to take care of the paintbrush. I'm going to clean it. I'm going to polish it. I'm going to make sure, you know, it doesn't have any lingering. And so we have beautiful paintbrushes that we're busy taking care of. But where's the painting? So... Judaism says it's both. We need to take care of our paintbrush, our body, our guf, our externals. But we also need to understand that that body that Hashem gave us with the light inside is meant to do something in this world. What is it meant to do? To be a conduit for light. And how do we do that? In the most practical way is by healing and uncovering the light within us. If I know without a shadow of a doubt that I'm worthy and good because a piece of God is inside of me and that's my worthiness. It's not because my body looks good or my mind thinks well or my mouth speaks well. Those can all enhance the, the, the situation, but it's because my infinite value and worthiness comes from the fact that there's a light and aleph of Hashem inside of me. And I wake up every day to try to 
paint with that light and share that light and connect and turn that light on in others and those around me, that's living Geula and that's changing our world, even though your question was, how does the world look different? And the answer is, it might not look different. It's the same paintbrush with the same, you know, canvas, but it's completely different if I'm focusing on creating something versus just maintaining the paintbrush. And sometimes you got to be focused on one or the other because needs are, are real. But ultimately, Geula is about painting a picture that humanity all together shows up collectively and puts on this canvas what? The reality that ain't od bovado. Hashem is one, God is one, and our job on this world is to have that be revealed and live that to the extent that we're able to every single moment of our lives. It's so beautiful. It's so powerful. And it would be so effective. We would be such effective conduits of Hashem's light if we could just all do that every single day. We would, we would just bring Mashiach literally right now. We really would. Um, so, and I would love to leave our listeners with just some additional motivation and hisak. You've given us so much, but just a little bit more hisak, a little bit more strength to encourage everyone to just to continue doing their part to bring Mashiach. So I want to see if you can please share a personal anecdote or two about something that you do in your daily life to help bring Geula to the world and also Geula within yourself. So I'll just, I'll share some um, insights that I gleaned from my greatest teachers who are my children. Um, I think Hashem, when Hashem blesses someone with children, um, very often they act as mirrors to kind of show us what work we need to do on ourselves in case we were missing, um, you know, anything on our to-do list. Our kids usually bring out um, to us or show us what things we can use some refinement on. And I'll just share a few things that I remember learning from my children and thinking that it says that the, the merit of the children is actually going to bring Mashiach. You know, it's going to be the little kindalach as the song went, or, um, you know, more biblically speaking, it says Rachel, Mivakal, Baneha, that the, the children um, are the ones who are actually going to be the guarantors and, and um, our four mothers and fathers had hope that the guarantors are going to be, um, you know, the, the next generation. Um, to bring this forward. So from my own children, I saw that in so many ways, they have this purity and clarity to see things for what they really are, meaning for the godliness or for that spiritual light or that Geula mindset without all the anguish or angst that we sometimes bring to this work. And I'll give you a few examples just so you know, I, I'm not saying that they're, they're practical tools. They just taught me um, how, what it looks like to see things clearly. So we have um, our Chabad house is right around the corner from the Emory Hospital, uh, you know, very well, well-regarded medical establishment. And so very often um, ambulances will drive by our home on the way to the hospital. That's right, right around the corner. And so children often hear sirens and, you know, it's, it's loud, it's jarring, it could be scary. But one of my children had this custom that I don't know, you know, what the origin of it was, but every time she would do this, it would kind of spark a Geula moment in my mind. She would hear an ambulance go by the house and whatever she was doing, you know, coloring, playing, reading, whatever it was, she would shout out Rafua Shalema. And that was, what does it mean? Meaning if an ambulance is going by, it means somebody's in it that's going to the hospital. And what could I do? Meaning 
there's an alarm in the world. There's darkness, there's brokenness. What's a Gaula response from a little child? She was, you know, three, four, very little girl is I can send a prayer. I could wish, you know, a good healing, a speedy healing. Rafua Shalema practically means you should, you know, be healed quickly and speedily. And that's someone, I wouldn't say it's taking action, but it's a response to something that could be scary or jarring with a positive light filled prayer, a message, I'm sending you good vibes. So that's, you know, whenever I heard her do that, I always would think to myself, wow, there's so many things in my life that could be compared to an ambulance and how could I respond or in what way would I, can I bring up a refuah shalema, meaning a positive response to this or a geula response to this. Another example from my children, and this is um, also young, young kids have this where and I don't remember at what age this uh, was expired, but I, I, I need to be honest and say it expired. But one of my sons, anytime he would find or be given, whether it's Hanukkah or a birthday or, you know, whatever it was, money, a dollar, a quarter, he saw the money, you know, currency, and his immediate response was tzedakah. And he would look for the pushka in the home to put it into. It didn't have any other meaning to him. It wasn't like, oh, I can go buy myself a Laffy Taffy. I, again, that changed at some stage when he realized what money could buy. And then it's like, okay, how much of the money that's now buying that now can buy me something that will bring me some sort of, you know, pleasurable experience. How much of that do I, you know, give away? But to see a child in that pure state, looking at something, money, currency, and not seeing it the way we see it, not seeing it through our gullus eyes, but seeing it through gullus eyes, what is its purpose? What is its ultimate intention? What is its best use? Tzedakah, mommy, where's the pushka? Help me reach the pushka because some of them are higher up. And that, again, was a reminder to me of a child sees things in this pure way because the light of God isn't as obscured by experience and trauma and pain of living life. It's, it's you know, it's like a clear window. And so there's a coin, it's tzedakah. And again, that's a reminder to me also, if I have something, in what way can it be of service in the world, not, not just to bring geula, but to be used in a positive way, to be used for the ultimate good, or to be used to bring light or joy to another. And these little examples are ways where I think it's very important that we understand it's not that it's a concept and it doesn't relate to my life or it's an idea. And if you like talking about ideas, keep talking about this idea. We've been talking about it for 3000 years. You know, it's actually, I think 16 out of our 19 prayers that we say in the Shimon Esther asking, sorry, not 16, six out of 19, we're, we're asking for Mashiach. It's like a daily obsession, but it's not supposed to be a concept. It's supposed to be something that in my life, practically every single day when I wake up that I'm thinking the people I'm interacting with, the activities I need to do today, my, you know, to-do list that's never ending. How are all of these things part of this plan, part of this mission? And I think for every individual, the answer of how might I, or what am I meant to do in this moment, it might be a different answer. I would say it is a different answer, but the question needs to be, I wouldn't, the same for all of us and how can I add light to myself, to my environment, to the people around me? And not only can, how can I add it, how could I see that in others? Because I've, if I view my spouse, my parents, my siblings, my children and myself as containers of the divine, then I speak to them differently and I interact with them differently. They're not just annoying or irritating me or getting on my nerves or giving me things to do, although that may also be true because that's one part of reality. But the deeper part of reality is 
They're a chilek eloka, a part of God here. And my job is to reveal that in me, to reveal that in you, and for all of us together, hand in hand, to reveal that in the world around us. And practically, it looks like infusing godliness in your to-do list may look different than my to-do list, but the mission is the same, even though the to-do list may have different actionable items on it. So I, I just want to wish L'chaim to, to you in your you know beautiful work that you do bringing light to the world and to each and every one of us um, that every day of our lives, no matter what struggles and pain and darkness and difficulty we're working on and dealing with, A, to know that it's part of this process of refining and refinement. It's not easy, it's painful, but the ultimate result is that we're meant to be turning on that light within ourselves and realizing and acknowledging that the light of God within me is my ultimate worth and value. It's the Mashiach in me, it's the Geula in me. And my objective is to reveal that, to illuminate that, not just in myself, but to see that in others and to bring that out in others. And ultimately that's what a Geula world looks like. It's a world where people who are lights are working together to reveal the light that's all around us. So L'chaim, we should be able to do that immediately. And uh, all the other details of how it will unfold and, you know, all the exciting stages of what the process is going to look like. Um, I definitely learned a lot about it and there's a lot to share, but I think ultimately I'm here for, let's see how it, let's see how it goes down. And um, we'll all definitely be celebrating and, uh, and have put in a lot of effort to bring that about. So L'chaim, it should be now and, and uh, wishing you much Hatzlacha in your light-filled work. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so, so much. Thank you, Rebbits and Miriam, for joining us on America's Top Rebbits. And so we really, really enjoyed having you here. We learned so, so much. And may all our learning today be for Rafu Shalema, for Eliezer Raphael Leibenemuna, and also for Zev Benleya. Thank you again. Thank you.